Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. There's nowhere else for your computer to be set today. Um, okay, so we always talk. I know that if you're not listening to the local news, but I must tell you, we are so spoiled in Israel. The weather in Israel is generally for those who like the heat, for those who love the sun, for those who like to breathe in the air, <laughs> Israel really is the place to be. I would say that between eight and nine months out of the year in Israel, no matter which corner of the country you live in, you can absolutely enjoy balmy, beautiful, sometimes indeed hot weather. Nevertheless, and we pray this is the time when we pray. We pray for rain because we don't get those delicious summer rains that after they come pouring down, you smell the sweetness. From Pesach, from Passover, until, um, let's say, the high holy days, there is no rain in Israel, nothing. So we pray for it. I mean, we're an agricultural nation, um, as spelled out so clearly in the Bible. All right, I've prefaced it. We are going into our second week of miserable, horrible, rainy, bone-chilling weather, just as predicted in our Sidorim, our prayer books, and just what we're praying for. And I have to tell you, every day we open our eyes, and I have a few clients from, uh, from England as my husband says, well, it's like this in England every day. Apparently, I don't know, I would go crazy. I woke up again and the skies are overcast. And sometimes because I'm not as lofty as um, I may uh, appear to some, I have to remind myself to pray and to express gratitude for another day of bone chilling winter weather that reminds us of the seasons. Oh, we are so fickle, so fickle. Stay with the program till the end and you'll hear just how fickle we are. Okay, on this day today, turning serious for a moment, um, four years ago, I think it was today, yesterday, today, a beautiful Bas Yisrael, a daughter of Israel, a beautiful girl, who represented the best of all of us, named Ori Anspacher. Ori, her name says light, reflects light. Um, she was brutally, savagely raped and murdered by a terrorist. And I ask you to focus a moment because that name terrorist is thrown around so much. It has become stripped of its meaning. The word terrorist, terror is designed to paralyze, designed to absolutely freeze those in its path. She was murdered in the, in the uh, hills here of Jerusalem sitting, taking a walk, 
on a commonly used trail, a hiker's trail. A hiker's trail open to everyone. Following the horrific murder, her mother, quake, quake in the presence of this holy woman. And what does she say? And I read the words this morning, and I think it's important for all of us to hear, all of us that are parents, all of us that are children, all of us that are aunts and uncles and siblings. Quote, it is important for us that the world knows who Ori was. Ori was a child of light who added so much light to the world. She cured broken hearts wherever she went, be it with her friends, the boys and girls she worked with in her national volunteer service, and even with the people she didn't know. She healed our pain. She had a deep and exact inner understanding of the world. Ori was a child of land and words. She loved this land so much. She wandered around it so much. She would set out to walk, to breathe, to sit, to work in this land. Sometimes when I spoke with her, I felt that it was not a conversation between a mother and daughter, but that she was my teacher, a noble soul, so gentle. And within that gentleness, hid tremendous strength. Usually, Ori would travel with paper on hand because she was also a girl of words. Since she was a little girl, she would write poetry, words that expressed who she was in the world, words that were so deeply felt and exact. Ori taught us to wonder, to feel wonder from the sunrise, from the sunset, from blossoming, from the sun, from the rain, from everything that there is in this world to see the light in the world. She was a girl of inner truth. She was always looking for ways to fix the world through goodness, through giving, through love. What a great love she was. How much love she gave. I pray that all he will give us the strength to continue living with goodness and that she will grant us the light to add to the world and to smile. And Ori's mother closes with a message to all of us. Quote, I ask from those who are listening to us and for those whom our words are entering their hearts to do one, one small thing, to add light to the world, one act of kindness, and may we, and maybe we will preserve Ori's soul in the world, and maybe we will have some comfort by adding light to the world. May her memory be for a blessing. Why? Why, Andrea? Is this so necessary today? Why would you read that? We can all read it. We can hear it. I ask you today to consider the call for parity. Again, we hear it. We must understand the other side. It is said that every human being is a world. The world that was taken with the death of this one young girl that we have had been so fortunate together this morning to share a glimpse in. I, I didn't know her personally. 
But I will assure everyone listening in that the world lost something so precious, so irretrievable four years ago when someone who was born to give, not to take, not to rape, not to steal, not to tear down. Do not be immune. Do not let yourselves be jaded. And I'm talking to myself by the word terrorist. Freedom fighters. The fact is, when someone's end game is zero sum, there is no parity. In the story of the exodus from Egypt, we're going to get this through this very quickly before the break. Who was the best Jew? The best Jew to the Jews. It was someone like Nachshon, um, Nachshon ben Aminadav, Nachshon. He was the first one who entered the waters. He went in there up until his nostrils before the sea parted. There were no swimming lessons. He was the first one in the water. He saw it. He was the embodiment of strength, of faith, of leadership. Who was the worst? The guys who were hanging out in the back. The Jews said, "Who? what did the Egyptians do to me? I'm going to hedge my bets because you know what? I'm not so sure about this Moses guy. To the Egyptians? Who were the worst Jews? The ones who entered the sea with gusto. Those who were blind to whatever dangers that tomorrow might bring but content in allowing this God of liberation to forge their futures. And who was the best Jew to the Egyptians? Those guys that were hanging out in the back, not uh, particularly, not participants. Who was the best Egyptian to the Egyptians? It was the guy who led the charge. And who was the worst? The ones who sat in the rear with the chariot saying to himself, you know, those Jews were pretty nice. I have no bones to pick with them. And to the Jews, who were the best Egyptians? the ones who wished them no harm and hung out in the back. Clearly, the worst were those who were hot on their heels. And yet, every Hebrew was saved from those who raced into the murky divide as well as those who tarried. And the Egyptians, every last one of them was drowned from the team leaders to the lagger behinds. God's design for B'nai Yisrael, for the children of Israel, was not negotiable. The betting booths were closed. I like that very very much. When we come back today, I'm going to tell you another story where we can get Torah from all sources because it's there everywhere. It's in our local grocery store. It is in the television commercials. It's in Facebook memes. And um, it speaks to all of us. My name is Andrea Simintov, and we will connect again on the other side.
And we are back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. If you ever forget it, if you're ever walking in the street, what is that station? What is that place I love to go to? We're the greatest podcasts. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Okay. Um, we forgot to do our Ramparu moment this morning. So it is late at night. To those listening in from the U.S. and Canada. Hi, U.S. and Canada. Boketover uh, Israel. I don't know if you're as cold as I am. It is so cold in this house. This house was really built in the year Gimel. And it's very to heat it up. Stop laughing. Be grateful. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Doing the mantra. Um, Ireland is with us this morning. Hi. Anybody know my friend Jerry Casey? Say hi. And um, let's see. We also have Egypt listening in this morning. Well, Egypt, we're talking a lot about our joint history today. So happy that you are with us. South Africa is on. I happen to know that for a fact. I get personal messages from South Africa. And good morning, Madagascar. Um, by the way, the husband. Where is the husband this morning? How is she speaking so loud in the house? The husband is in South Africa. Hold on, where is my cursor here? Yeah, the husband is in South Africa. He ran away. He ran away to warm weather. And he's ashamed. He's ashamed of himself because he went on safari last night. He was eating wonderful meals. Um, he's basking in the love of his extended family who's celebrating him. And he left me behind to take care of the dog and the freezing house. Okay. I got it. Gratitude, gratitude. Hope he's listening in. All right. He went, he bought me some, uh, he bought me some very expensive electronics and duty free to make up for his well-deserved guilt. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah. I mentioned before the break that, you know, maybe, maybe the book I have to, maybe there's a website called Torah anywhere. I get stuff, I, I come across stuff all the time, and somebody sent me, I believe, I don't even know what website it was. Oh, yeah, there's something called Torah Anytime. Well, I'm Torah Anywhere. Uh, we're not going to advertise other sites. But anyway, um, I received an adorable video. And if it's consistent with Torah, if it's consistent with my Jewish belief system, I am happy to share it with you. And I believe it was a Swedish pastor. Some of my best friends are pastors, not necessarily Swedish pastors, but uh, I have a friend who was a former uh, Finnish pastor. You know, actually, I'm going to dedicate a part of the Devar Torah section to him. But nevertheless, this Finnish pastor was telling the story about the splitting of the Red, of the red Sea, which indeed wasn't red. It was the Sea of Reeds. Um, somehow, somewhere, someone dropped an E along the line. And he was telling this story. And I thought to myself, I love hearing it because non-Jews, apparently, you know, my world is so Jewish, so immersed in Yiddishkeit, in discussions of Jews and hanging out with Jews and reading about Jews, that I sometimes, I don't really entertain what kind of philosophical discussions people from other cultures might be having. Not because I'm diametrically opposed to learning. I'm just a little bit limited. So he was telling the story about somebody talking about the miracle, the miracle of the splitting of the sea. And it was incredible that the Jews didn't drown and they made it across. And the fellow or the other philosopher with whom he was speaking, and he was saying, you know, praise, praise Hashem. 
I don't think they said Hashem, they said praise God. But they said, you know, praise God for his glory, for what he did in getting everybody out. And so the naysayer said, well, you know, I've studied this quite a bit. And it was brought to my attention that the water, in fact, may only have been five inches in depth. That it's not the way that um, historians or artists depict it. And I happen to have liked that discussion. The discussion happens to be innately Jewish. Well, it was only five inches of water. It wasn't really, it wasn't really water. Blah, 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 blah. And there was a moment of silence. And the original speaker said, God is great. God is incredible to have drowned all those Egyptians in only five inches of water. So perspective, my friends, perspective. Um, came across, came across a, uh, a writer, an editor, a pundit, whose name is Brendan O'Neill. Any of you know Brendan O'Neill? Came across, I think it's my son. I have a son, a, a, a very bright, scary guy who lives in Tel Aviv. And he actually turned me on to Brendan O'Neill. And Brendan O'Neill writes an article regarding the, um, the massacre. Two Friday nights ago, not this past Friday night, the Friday night before, the massacre in the synagogue, outside the synagogue, in the neighborhood of Piskat Zev, Jerusalem, as well as the Israeli um, retaliatory rage in Janine. Oh, Neve Yaakov, yes, excuse me, I said Piskat Zev is next to Neve Yaakov, the community of Neve Yaakov. And Brendan O'Neill talks about, and he says quite succinctly, truth is the first casualty of war. And over the past week, we've seen just how estranged from truth the West's fashionable anti-Israel set has become. That something so extraordinary happened that the woke commentators, and I'm extrapolating, you know, the woke commentators and those Israel naysayers expressed more fury over a massacre that didn't happen over the one that did happen. They made so much noise over a massacre that existed mostly in their imaginations, the one in Janine, that they did over a massacre that existed in the real world that shattered people's lives in the most violent, horrifying, ugly, brutal way. And that it was a tale of two massacres, he says, the real and the unreal, and that there's a harsh and unforgiving light on anti-Israel sentiment today. And I want to go into, we know what happened to Neve Yaakov. We don't have to, the pain is so raw, so real. But I'm embarrassed to tell you that I did not even know about the raid in Janine. It was so stealth, so brilliantly executed, so Am Yisrael, the people of Israel loving that it was carried out as I and those I care about slept, slept safely because of the merit of our holy warriors who defend the borders. And O'Neill says, 
and I quote, it starts with events in Janine, the West Bank, on last Thursday, following numerous clashes over the past month between Israeli security forces and Palestinian residents of the West Bank, Palestinian sick, I may add. The Israelis launched a raid in Janine in which nine people were killed. It was a massacre, people say. Israeli security forces slaughtered Palestinians. That's what Americans were told. Democratic U.S. Congresswoman and squad member Rashida Tlaib, that was me, I I was losing last night's dinner, led the charge. Israel is an apartheid regime that is killing Palestinian children and families, she said, the day after the Janine incident. We must honor the victims of the Janine massacre, she said, by telling the truth about apartheid government. The word massacre? Just like, my friends, I'm off script, just like the word terrorist. Let's dilute it. Let's water it down. It was wildly used by the left. The electronic intifada called it an Israeli bloodbath. Janine and massacre trended online. British people were encouraged to write to their MPs to register their disgust with Israel's brutal behavior. I digress a tad, but not far. I had a client last week, a woman who's newly living in Israel, living here because her only grandchild lives here. And I don't want to do any further uh, descriptions. Living here, sitting in my studio, my office, And I said to her, do you find living here difficult? You come from such a foreign culture. You come from a world that's so different from here. And she said, if it weren't for my grandchild, why else would I live in an apartheid state? I thought to myself, where is she getting her news? I must add that this client was not Jewish living here and not Jewish. But I'm not certain that that's the point. I'm not certain. I'm still working on it. I still wake up in the night. Where is she getting her news? Al Jazeera? No. The Washington Post. The New York Times. There are some who are so committed to the narrative of Israeli evil and Palestinian good that they hold them up as pitiful victims. Let me tell you something, and I tell this to my client, and I tell this to anybody listening in. Apartheid state, we have those listening in this morning from South Africa. They know what an apartheid state is. Israel is flawed. Israel is not perfect. But you tell me apartheid state to every one of the pharmacists in my pharmacy who is an Arab to all the medicals, to so much of the medical staff, up to 85 and 90% in some areas of Israel, doctors, nurses, teachers, computer experts who are Arab. You know what the hottest commodity is on the Arab black market today? An Israel identity card. Well, let me tell you something. You can't crap in the living room and then be invited to sit at the table. Yes, 
including Knesset members, apartheid, Supreme Court justices, apartheid, flawed, maybe, real, always. Israel is real. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, I'm sorry, Andrea Simintov, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You know, this show could go on for four hours, but I'm not sure I'd hold your attention. But I'm laughing. Apparently, um, <laughs> the last section, I got so passionate, I got so crazy, I went over time. And I didn't even finish. So um, stay with me. Oh, by the way, take issue with anything I say. I can handle it. I love the conversation. I love the discourse. I love learning from you, those who really stay up so late at night, get up so early in the morning, take a moment out of your day to listen to this either live or on podcast. So drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to hear your thoughts. And indeed, if you want to know where any of the sources, I don't make this stuff up, although... (laughs) There might be some who would disagree. No, I don't make up any of this stuff. If if I say anything and you want to know the sources, happy to send you links to the kind of things that keep me up at night so that you don't have to. All right. um, What I'm saying to my client and I'm saying to anybody else listening in, sit back, listen to the narrative, but understand Don't be part of, oh, so one thing I did want to tell you, when I raised these issues with this client, she sat in silence, and it wasn't an arrogant silence. She was so busy getting all of her source material from enemies, enemies of the holy Jewish state, that she, no one had ever taken, no one had ever taken issue with her. No one had ever said to her, "Uh, you may be wrong. Because what does she do? She surrounds herself with people who share her mindset and spew the same pap. I'm no genius. None of us are. I sometimes find it distasteful and painful to listen, to read, and to interact with others who don't share my belief system. Well, do we want the whole world to look like us, to smell like us, to act like us? That would be a little mouse gray. Nevertheless, we have to hear and not be frightened to believe what we believe and don't think that the negative, the negative naysayers hold any sway. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at an art. I was, I was trying to decide whether I would speak about the Jewish Democrats who are defending enemies of Israel in the U.S. House and the Senate. But you know what? I've had enough. We'll talk about it later, another time. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not going anywhere. Uh, let's see. What else? Let's talk Parsha. Let's talk Parsha. I love feeling safe behind Parsha. Jamaica is not with us this morning, but I was going to comment. I love when Jamaica is listening in um, because I'm learning more and more about the uh, 
Jewish community in Jamaica, as well as um, I once read a fascinating novel about Jamaica and really opened up my eyes. And so I learned this week, this is just before we get to Parsha, that there's a synagogue in Jamaica. And it's one of just five synagogues in the world today that has sand covering the flooring. Now, we happen to have a, it's not a replica, it's actually a reconstructed synagogue from the country of Suriname. S-U-R-I-N-A-M, for those who want to check it out on their globes. And they also have the sand-covered floors. And um, I was told that the sand-covered floors has a few possible meanings. First of all, they may not have been able to, to, um, to afford more expensive flooring. And they didn't want, so the, the sand could be replaced and always clean. That was one idea. The other idea was that during the rainy seasons, it was very, very wet and the sand would absorb it and the dirt from the people's shoes. But the most popular explanation of the sand on both the floor in Suriname and in Jamaica is that the tradition delivered from Sephardi Jews who needed to keep their secrets uh, their services, their their uh, their services secret from the church authorities. That the sand didn't make any noise; um, it concealed the noise during the prayer services. Um, that's very interesting. The the oh, I had heard one other one other one other explanation which I liked very much, which was the sand reminded the participants of the exodus through the desert. You had the constant reminder. So very interesting. Any of you have any thoughts of that? Drop me a line. Jamaica listening in and Suriname. And I wonder where the other places are, the other three places. Let me know. Okay. My favorite. This section of the um, show is dedicated. I'm making a a dedication to my friends, Ruth and Shalom. Um, who were, uh, I'm not going to, they didn't give me permission to use their name, so I'm not going to use their last name. But let me merely say that my friend Shalom and Ruth, they were the heads of a Christian community. He was a, I think he was a pastor, but I'm not quite sure. He wrote a book about it. And they were unceremoniously ousted from their pulpit uh, before formally converting to Judaism and move coming home to Israel. Fabulous people, fascinating people. I really think we need to have them on the show, Ruth and Shalom. Um, and Parshas Yitro, Parshat Yitro, the portion, the section of Jethro. That's who Yitro is, Jethro. Forgive me, Jethro is really not a, not a Jewish name. I keep thinking of the Beverly Hillbillies. But we will say, um, if it's okay with everybody, I'm going to use the word Yitro. And I'll try to keep it as familiar to all of us as we can. So Yitro, he is indeed one of the most complex people in the Torah. Um, According to Rabbi Wine, there are many Yitros in Yitro's life. And perhaps this is the reason that the rabbis taught us that he possessed seven different names. Now, listen, you can't be a nobody and get a Torah portion named after yourself. Each one of Yitro's name perhaps represented a different side of him or at a different point of his life. You know, we meet him in our Torah portion at the crossroads of his choices and his beliefs. It is said, at least I know that in all of my learning, that he was the ultimate truth seeker. 
He was someone who sought truth, sought accuracy. On one hand, he's a priest or he's a former priest. He practiced paganism in uh, Midian. He's experimented with every form of religion in the world before coming to the faith of monotheism. He's influenced Yitro because he was open to it, because he was receptive to it. He was receptive to the faith of his unexpected son-in-law, Moses. But he's also greatly influenced by the Exodus itself, Yitziat Mitzrayim, the Exodus from Egypt, and the visible, impressive miracles that are clearly you know, evident throughout the entire event. But, you know, there's also this inner conviction that moves him and makes him a monotheistic believer. And I'm going to drive this point home. There are good friends who listen to this program, who listen to a lot of programs on Israel News Talk Radio. And they're torn. They're straddling. There's a bridge. Nevertheless, I'm going to say it emphatically now. One cannot call themselves a Jew. One may not call themselves an observer of Judaism and still believe that Christ plays any role. It's far deeper than chalk and cheese. It is the antithesis of Jewish belief. We're going to get into the tough stuff now. So just stay with me. What does Yitro say? He says, now I know that the Lord is God, for he has avenged himself on the Egyptians in the manner that they intended to destroy the Jews. The Egyptians drowned Jewish children in the Nile, and they were therefore drowned themselves at the Sea of Reeds. Yitro, the truth seeker, he cannot help but be impressed, not only by the miracle of the destruction of the Egyptian oppressor, but by the manner and method of destruction that the miracle exhibited itself. Mida connected mida, measure for measure. It's this measure for measure that is fascinating to him and leads him to abandon his home and his background bravely, crazily, brazenly join Israel in the desert. And having arrived at this new belief system by judicial, judicious, rational analysis, Yitro becomes an advisor. He applies the same method of sechel, of wisdom, in advising his son-in-law Moshe as to the formulation, the efficient operation to become the chief operating officer of the Jewish judicial system in the desert. Yitro is consistent. He's analytical. Perhaps this is why he was so positively influenced by this measure-for-measure punishment of Paro and his Egyptian armies. Who is Yitro? He's an ultimate outsider. He's looking in from the outside. He is the quintessential practitioner of, um, oh, gosh, I'm losing my word. 
he's he's reflective. He's not subjective. He sees things objectively. That was the word I was looking for. I told you, friends, you lose the English, but it's not replaced by Hebrew. It's just like you get like nothing. In Yiddish, there's an expression that a temporary guest sees for a mile. It sounds better in Yiddish. Okay. The example of Yitro encourages us to give respect and thoughts. You know, think of the outsiders in our community. A lot of times they come from very different backgrounds, but they have this objectivity and they have fought their way, especially those who come to Judaism as converts, as true, honest, convert those who are converted from a thought of several gods, different roles of gods, false beliefs to arrive at Torah and hearty observance of the commandments, the mitzvot. The views of outsiders and their experiences must remain critical to us. So let's, let me just say, when we talk about the Ten Commandments and indeed the commandments that these outsiders celebrate with gusto, the children of Israel, B'nai Yisrael, we receive these, what we say, the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Principles, or I learned, I learned a new word, Decalogue, Decalogue, okay, the Deca, I think is Greek for ten. I'm going to go back and forth in the language. Correct me if something's not clear. All right. I had a hard time putting this together. What words to use, use the Hebrew, use the English, use the Greek. So these 10 commandments can be translated into 10 categories. Indeed, think about a spreadsheet with 10 categories um, listing each mitzvah in the Torah. And every mitzvah of the 613 in the Torah can be traced into one of the columns one of the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel receive these Ten Commandments saying and responding. Okay, I'm trying to use more English and less Hebrew because I sometimes get lost in the Hebrew. But what do they say? Na'asei v'nishma. We will do and we will listen. This is the ultimate expression of faith. It's not, tell it to me first. I'll see if it lays right. And then I'll let you know. God is great. God is good. God is all-encompassing. God knows. Now I say we will do, and then we will listen. If we have the merit to actually get it, lucky us. But we accept you as God. So the question is, Anochi um, Hashem, I am the Lord. What is the first commandment? I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. To, uh, you know, say what? Hello? That's a commandment? I am the Lord your God? Where do I, what role do I play in that? Is this a mitzvah dealing with a practical code, a practical conduct? Or is it a, conf a confirmation of faith, a declaration of the existence of God? And is that declaration indeed a mitzvah? So there's a lot of debate. There's a debate among Jewish scholars as to whether or not Anochi, I am the Lord your God, is a commandment. The Rambam was the first philosopher to enumerate the fundamentals of the Jewish faith. He wrote it down. His 13 principles of the Jewish faith, 
correspond with a discussion which gives prerequisites that a Jew must fulfill in order to attain his or her portion in Olam Haba, the world to come. The Rambam says in the beginning of this, a written discussion. This is very hard not to do in Hebrew. I just hope you're all giving me a pat on the back. This is very hard here. Okay. The basic principle of all basic principles, and this is the Rambam speaking, and the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a primary being. He further elaborates that a Jew is required to attain knowledge of God. In fact, when the Rambam discusses the laws of conversion, he emphasizes that when teaching a ger, a convert, it is most important to teach him Yichud Hashem, the unity of God and the ban on idolatry. Rambam, some of you know him as Maimonides, okay, emphasizes this need to know that God exists. This is Aleph. This is A. In his book, Guide to the Perplexed, he, he interprets the sages' statement. The sages say that the first two commandments were heard directly from God, and this led them to rationally know that he existed. Consequently, the first two principles, what are they? The existence of God and his unity can be arrived at by either the same means, reasoning, rationalization, or whatever can be established by oh, proof. This view is also held that the Torah commandments have meaning within the entire scope of Jewish belief. And the Rambam states his principles of belief in order to give a foundation for all of God's commandments. He uses the term, this really, I had quite a wake-up call, ladat, to know in relation to the existence of Hashem. You ask somebody, in Hebrew you say, you know, atu, you say, say atagati. You're not, and, and it's translated poorly as, are you religious? But what we're really saying is, are you imbued with knowledge? Are you knowledgeable in relation to the existence of God? The Ramban states that Jewish law requires one to know that God exists. You have to work all day pursuing wisdom in order to attain a knowledge, um, a knowledge of God and loving him as well. There's a phenomenon, just watching the clock here. Okay, there's a phenomenon I heard about. I don't even know if they're still in existence. And it's called a secular, a secular yeshiva. I think it was opened up in Tel Aviv. People who wanted to understand, wanted to learn about um, about the Torah, the commandments, the mitzvot, the writers, the prophets, but not in a religious obligatory sense, um, in a more historical, philosophical manner. And they study and they say, we're not religious, but we're learning this. I maintain that this form of study without the anochi, I am the Lord your God, front and center, it does for Jews what our enemies in Greece tried to do and did not succeed. Take the Torah, take the writings, take the Tanakh, take the Gemara, dumb it down to secular study, and when you're done, put it up on a shelf along with the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the, what is it called? The second, uh, the, new, the New Testament. It ain't. No such thing. 
to be fair, on the other hand, there are those who argue that Anochi, I am, there's your commandment, I am. It's not a mitzvah, but it's a confirmation of faith. There was a Spanish philosopher, just learned about him, called Crescas, and he wrote that a mitzvah, a commandment by definition, is only applicable to manners that are governed by free will. Faith in the existence of God is not subject to free will or choice, and therefore the term mitzvah cannot apply. This is Kreska speaking. Although the Ramban appears, appears to agree that Anochi is a mitzvah in his commentary on the portion, he, like Kreskas, asserts that the belief in God is not counted as a mitzvah, but rather the wellspring, the source of all mitzvot. The Ramban holds that by doing mitzvot scrupulously, paying attention to, de to detail, one comes to a belief in Hashem. And if you want to know more about that and want to expand on your reading, read the works of Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler, D-E-S-S-L-E-R, his famous work. I think it's a three-volume set, five-volume set called Mechtav Me Eliyahu, Letters from Eliyahu, where he talks about the laborious action of committing one's observance to real tactile performance will result in an acceptance of God. As to why God prefaces his debrot, his words, his commandments with Anochi, I am, the Ramban compares the Almighty to a king who tells his subjects that before he gives them his laws and the ordinances, they have to first accept him as their ruler and believe in him. Belief in God? It's a prerequisite for all the other mitzvot. In the book of Eov, or more commonly known as the book of Job, oh, poor Job, we all know the story of Job, it is written, Quote, who cannot fail to discover that the hand of God is behind all this? Close quote. The Ramban, on the other hand, emphasizes this active aspect of mitzvot. By doing physical activities, caring for parents, giving to those with less, a person will come to a feeling of respect and honor them. This is the whole Rabbi Dessler thing. B'nai Yisrael says, Na'asei we will do and we will listen. And by virtue of accepting God's commandments is an understanding of a supreme commander. Ramban states that Anochi establishes the existence of God. And because he brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, we're obligated to, uh, to worship him. The exodus is evidence for the creation of the world, which simply, kindly, and brilliantly assumes a master of the universe. We're coming up on Shabbos. I know what my Shabbos table discussions are going to be about because I'm going to visit children in Beit Shemesh. I'm going to be an honored guest. And so this week, from the Torah to your table, I'm going to bring this, and maybe we can all talk about it with our families. The Pardes Yosef comments, quote, 
Let their holiness persist not only today when they hear the law and God's other moral instructions, but even on the next day when they will go hence. What is it saying? It's easy to hear an inspiring Torah commentary, to hear a great podcast that raises you up, that elevates you, that makes you commit to deepening your observance. But that's today. It's another issue to continue that change tomorrow and all the days that follow. Discuss this principle of changing your behavior and maintaining that change, even though the inspiration that brought about the change is no longer present. My name is Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom Mivorach from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Doc Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 